Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Promising Practices for Promoting Equitable and Culturally Competent Vaccinations for Dually Eligible Beneficiaries. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 15, 2022. In this podcast, Dr. Cherie H. Kitt, the Program Director for the Vaccine Equity and Access Program at Community Catalyst, discusses the Vaccine Equity and Access Program at Community Catalyst. Our mission is to build the power of people to create a health system rooted in race equity and health justice in a society where health is a right for all. Over the last year, Community Catalyst has supported the CDC's adult vaccination efforts through our VEAT program, which has the goal to increase vaccination coverage for adults in racial and ethnic populations experiencing disparities in the United States. Through this funding, support, training, and technical assistance has been provided to a national network of community-based organizations to develop and implement effective health communication and community engagement strategies designed to increase COVID-19 and flu vaccine confidence and acceptance in BIPOC communities that are at increased risk of COVID-19 infection and death. Our community-based partners are working to identify and train community leaders who can reach people where they are and serve as trusted sources of information about COVID and flu vaccines. They provide health education, and they've developed communications campaigns to address misinformation and disinformation. They partner with healthcare providers and local health departments to facilitate access to both COVID-19 and flu vaccines, and they also connect community members with culturally competent providers. During our, the first year of our project, we funded 90 community-based partners to implement these program activities. They were... 41 states and the District of Columbia. 67% of our organizations were considered organizations of color. And what that means is that the organization is primarily focused on improving the lives of, of racial and ethnic minorities. And 75% of their leadership, leadership as in their board members and senior leaders in their organization, identify as being people of color. Within our organizations, 51% of organizations were actually not health-facing type organizations. They were grassroots groups, advocacy-focused, social services, housing, and one of our unique partners was actually a library. Overall, in year one of the project, our partners were able to help support over 145,000 individuals received COVID-19 vaccinations, and over 13,000 received flu vaccinations because of their community-based efforts. So now I'm going to discuss some key strategies that our partners use to promote equitable and culturally appropriate vaccinations. First, I'll talk about activating vaccine efforts through promotion events and pop-up sites. Our CBOs held almost 7,000 vaccination promotion events, which included informational sessions, town halls, and discussion sessions, and other types of events included health fairs, food distributions, attending cultural and heritage festivals, and they even attended job fairs. Our CBOs established over 1,500 new vaccination sites and just over 700 mobile and temporary vaccination sites through multidisciplinary partnerships. 
to support these vaccination sites, our partners provided marketing and promotions of these events. They offered space for pop-up sites. They provided staff and volunteers to assist with recruitment, registration, and as well as translation. In terms of using trusted messengers, over 52,000 influential messengers were recruited and trained to support vaccine education and confidence. And just to describe what influential messengers are, they are spokespeople who identify as recognizable, trusted, and credible individuals within their specific community. And they work and partner with our CBO partners to share and distribute information about COVID and flu, as well as the vaccinations. These influential messengers were hairstylists, barbers, drag queens, healthcare professionals, faith leaders. We also had students at colleges and universities, local celebrities, as well as social media influencers. They also recruited individuals from health departments as well as businesses. One of our unique businesses within one of our communities was a corner mom-and-pop store that held pop-up events. Next, I'll talk about removing communication barriers. Over 340 vaccination promotion and education communications products related to COVID and flu reached over 51 million people. In addition, these communications products spanned over 50 languages and dialects. Our community-based partners use platforms such as social media, the radio, flyers, they did text campaigns and just a number of, of other communications modes to really get the word out. And as an organization, what we did was we partnered with JPA Health, a communications firm, to conduct a needs assessment with all of our uh, community-based partners, as well as in-depth interviews with a smaller subset to understand the strengths and weaknesses of their communications capacity. As based on the, the results, we developed a communications toolkit containing messaging, social media tools, and customizable templates. And most recently, we've had the toolkit translated into six languages that were recommended by our CBO partners. So now I'm going to talk about some of the challenges that were expressed by our community-based partners. Some we were able to solve and some are ongoing. The first is forming partnerships with local health departments as well as with vaccination providers. As I mentioned, some of our community-based partners weren't health-facing organizations, so they may not have had pre-existing relationships with their local health departments or with federally qualified health centers in their community. Therefore, there were some challenges that they had in terms of connecting with them, as well as local health departments and vaccine providers being overwhelmed and not necessarily equipped in terms of resources to be able to support some of the requests from our CBOs. One of the things that we did was on the national level was partner with the National Association of County and City Health Officials. They are the membership organization for local health departments across the country. And we're currently working with them to develop a joint letter of partnership to share with local health departments and community-based organizations that are in the same communities to just offer initial introductions and try to merge those relationships and show them that we're working together on the national level. The third is combating misinformation and disinformation. As we all know, in many communities, vaccine hesitancy was high because of the spread of misinformation. Some of our CBOs expressed that community members were reluctant because of religious beliefs and 
information being spread that was inaccurate by some religious leaders. Another example was hesitancy and mistrust due to the political climate and the stream of new and conflicting information that was flowing in communities. Next, we'll talk about cultural barriers. There were a number of barriers in terms of ensuring that materials and resources and messaging was translated into languages and dialects that their communities could read as well as understand, as well as cultural barriers such as some uh, community members being fearful of going to health centers and hospitals because they were undocumented and they, they didn't have insurance and couldn't pay for services. So misinformation about the access that was available to for them to go and, and obtain a, a COVID-19 vaccination. Another was fatigue. Many of our core staff at the community-based organizations that we funded dealt with COVID infections themselves as well as family members, and many of the communities were just inundated with information related to the pandemic, constantly evolving local, state, and federal restrictions and guidelines, and in some communities when mask mandates were dropped, Many community members took that as a sign that COVID was over and that vaccination just wasn't an urgent need. And lastly, lack of testing sites. And I talked a little bit about that in terms of the partnership with local health departments and vaccination providers. Many of them were just stretched thin. And our community-based organizations, some of them were turned away in terms of trying to partner to host pop-up events and other types of promotional events within their communities. And one thing that actually stood out was a challenge around clinic hours and operations. Many communities expressed difficulty in access to the vaccines because of working class individuals who worked a number of different shifts. So if a clinic was open from nine to five, warehouse workers who may work different shifts or overnights or who may have been sleeping during the day or watching family members or helping family members weren't able to get to some of the clinic sites. So some of them were able to offer pop-up sites at varying times in the evenings and overnight to be able to meet the challenge of some of our communities. So now I'm going to talk about some of our successes as well as some of our lessons learned from our first year. We're currently in our second year. So one of the successes and lessons learned was maintaining a consistent presence in communities. Our CBOs and just CBOs in general need to be visible and consistent in the community because it helps create credibility and trust with community members. Also, setting up vaccination and outreach events on a consistent schedule in the same location. Next is creating messaging that closely resonates with the intended audience and translating and interpreting information is just not enough. Community members should be involved in the message development from the start. Next, it was important for our community-based partners to create space for community members to share and discuss questions and reservations about the vaccines and not just try to force vaccination on people, but also talk to them and, ha and talk to them about the disagreements so that mistrust and disinformation can be addressed. And just meeting community members where they are in their vaccination journey so that they can work with them to dispel some of those myths. Next is really just staying abreast of eligibility criteria and policies regarding the cost of testing and vaccinations for the uninsured and underinsured. That was essential for our community-based partners and even for individuals who did have health insurance. As I mentioned, some of our community partners 
were hesitant to go to health clinics and different health care sites. But knowing information about testing sites, vaccinations, and eligibility requirements allowed our community-based partners to help community members understand their rights, their resources for financial assistance, and how to sign up for an appointment if they weren't attending a pop-up event. Next, it was necessary for our community-based partners to partner with healthcare providers who employed culturally appropriate approaches to create a safe and welcoming space for their priority populations. Our partners expressed the significant benefits of hosting events in community-trusted spaces while maintaining respect for customs and beliefs. And next, I'll talk about two things that were really important, and this is providing wraparound support for community members. The success of our community-based partners' COVID-19 response was really built off their established approaches to addressing the social determinants of health. As I mentioned, many of the organizations, 51%, they weren't public health or healthcare organizations. So what they did was they identified the importance of providing wraparound services such as food and housing and utility assistance when promoting vaccination events as well as just promoting COVID information, as well as influenza. And lastly, engaging communities with their broader needs increased participation and built trust between the communities and their organizations. And the last success and lesson learned was including preventive health messages along with vaccination messages. So our community-based partners learned that their outreach and messaging was more successful when they coupled the COVID-19 and vaccination messages with other preventive health messaging. This strengthened their posture in communities and provided and expanded support to community members with additional information. And as Melanie mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of these strategies can be used for monkeypox and for other recommended adult vaccinations. And the work that our community-based partners did around including these preventive health messaging, it's allowed them to prepare themselves to really look at COVID and communicating with community members around including COVID into their regularly recommended adult immunization schedule. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website, resourcesforintegratedcare.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care, or follow Resources for Integrated Care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.